This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Suspense author, historical researcher Steve Ubaney is standing by, and he'll be here for the full Two hours to discuss his latest in his Who Murdered series of books. Previously, Stephen has published Who Murdered Elvis and Who Murdered FDR. And now he's tackling the death of Princess Diana, who died in a car crash in Paris in August of 1997, along with her boyfriend, Dodi Fayette, and their driver, Henri Paul. We'll get to that conversation in just a moment. Just a reminder... If you haven't already done so, please register at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then you'll start receiving my monthly newsletter, The Inner Sanctum, and it'll be delivered to your email inbox every month. It features previous guest spotlights, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, my monthly brief, and more this day in uh, conspiracy history. The Inner Sanctum, yours free by registering at strangeplanet.ca. And once you register, you'll also qualify for the monthly draw for free Strange Planet merchandise. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer, filling in for Owen Wolf. Ryan White is my live stream producer, and we are live streaming tonight on my YouTube channel. Get on up to Strange Planet at uh, the YouTube, and make sure you hit that red sub button. A new book is claiming that the accident that led to Princess Diana's death may have been planned. There was, apparently, a plan to kill the Princess of Wales. She was gravely injured, of course, in a deliberate car wreck, my guest says, in the tunnel underneath the Elma Bridge in Paris, France, and allowed to slowly bleed to death. There have also been conspiracy theories suggesting that Henri Paul, Princess Diana's driver, was involved with MI6 and that the British Secret Intelligence Service caused the accident. However, French investigators say they found no evidence involving the British state or the royal family in the accident. Princess Diana's former royal butler, Paul Burrell, previously said he suspected Prince Charles, or rather that Princess Diana suspected Prince Charles of plotting an automobile accident to kill her and eventually marry Camilla Parker Bowles even before her car crash. Steve Ubaney 
is an American suspense author who reinvestigates the deaths of famous people using his newly discovered facts that debunk historical claims. His books deduce that some of history's most famous deaths were actually murders. Previously, Steve published Who Murdered Elvis and Who Murdered FDR, and his latest is Who Murdered Diana, A Crash by Design. Steve Ubaney, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Richard Serd, it's nice to talk to you again. Delight to have you back. So, this this um, topic has been covered by two official investigations. There was the Lord Stevens investigation. Previous to that, there was another one. Uh, where did you dive in here in, in terms of your investigation? How did you approach this topic that has been it's been covered pretty extensively? But you, what did you bring new to the dance? Let's say, let's put it that way. Well, the people who have interviewed the, or um, investigated this beforehand got to the point where they said, oh, well, we found evidence that the royal family did it or was involved, and they stop. That's where my evidence, that's where my investigation starts. So I pick up where everyone else seems to have stopped. What got me involved uh, in this, I knew immediately. You know, you had these moments in Indelified in your mind where, you know, people know who were alive when JFK was shot, where they were. Uh, and Elvis Presley, of course, I was on the planet for that one. You know where you were and what you were doing. When Princess Diana, when I got word that this happened, I was in the pool with my girlfriend in Las Vegas. My neighbor came out, and uh, I knew immediately something had happened that was that was uh, very suspicious. Because about two months beforehand, she was on a and mine campaign. And she was starting to get involved in international politics. So those two things didn't wash for me. So I knew immediately something was wrong. Um, it's been covered extensively, but it's been covered by confirmation bias. Kind of paralleling um, the Warren Commission report. You know, if, you're, if you only look at the evidence that brings you to the conclusion that you want to have a conclusion to, you're going to come to that conclusion. But when you look at the whole body of evidence, you can come to different conclusions. So uh, it has been covered, and they did the Paget report, uh, which was the, the uh, conclusion of everything that they had done. They opened it twice under commission of the royal court. The royal court. <laughs> Operative word royal yes, under yes. commission of the queen. Okay. So I, uh, I was on a show you know, last year, and uh, it was right after we did, a, I think, our last show. We've been, we're all buddies. We've been uh, on the air a bunch of times, for those of us who don't know that. Uh, I think this is our, my ninth interview with you or something crazy like that. We anyway, did, we did quite a bit uh, it was right that. after the last yep. start. No, go ahead. It was right after the last time we were on together. And um, I was, I don't always end up the first guy on the show. Usually, sometimes there are people in front of me and I have to wait, you know. And um, sometimes it's crazy because they're crazy people talking to this Loch Ness monster on a two-way radio. And then I have to wait, <laughs> you know. And, so, and, so, and sometimes, sometimes it's really fascinating. Well, the guy who was in front of me on a show, the guy's name was Jack Firestone. And him and his, his wife, Robin, and his, their son witnessed the crash. They were in the Once Elma the, Tunnel. They were in the Elma Tunnel. They were. Wow. They were Americans. They, right. They were Americans on vacation in France in Elma Tunnel, witnessed the crash. Go to the French police. Give a full report to the French police. 
That report was never turned over to the British government. So we started to dig a little bit. There were 11 or 12 such instances where eyewitnesses to the crash had given their, uh, their testimony to the French police, and it was discarded. So, so they you know, were I never, hate the word. They were, they were never I asked hate. to testify, in other words, at the Stevens inquiry or the, the one previous. No, when they called up all the witnesses, quote-unquote witnesses, these people were never called to the first one. And, you know, they were kind of wondering. They called each other, you know, did you get called? No. Did you get called? No. You know, so if they're investigating the full body of evidence, these people should have been called. And what the did they see? The you, you, so you spoke to them. What did they see? Uh, in reference to what, Roger? The, the crash. Well, I don't want to get into They've got their own books out, so I really don't want to, uh, to tread on their turf. But uh, definitely something different than what was being reported. This uh, white Fiat Uno that everyone is talking about that is supposedly the culprit. And there's a new book out now called uh, Princess Diana Case Solved or something by Dylan Howard, who's a good researcher. I know Dylan. You yes. know, they found the, they found the driver to the uh, to the white Fiat Uno who collided with the car and this and that and the other thing. What they're all reporting is that the paparazzi had nothing to do with it. They were five minutes behind because the uh, Princess Diana boyfriend, bodyguard and driver on Paul exited from the back of the hotel, not the front. So the people who were in front are still waiting for them to come out. They exited to the back because they were trying to escape the uh, the pictures and the faldera, you know. Right. So they're already in the tunnel before the uh, paparazzi. People, I don't even do they even use that word anymore. Paparazzi. The I believe people who so. take pictures of famous people. Right. I guess. <clears throat> so, you know, they were they were way behind because they had to figure out. Well, they're not coming out. There they are. So they were way behind. And, of course, the stories leaked that the paparazzi caused this and that and the other thing. And um, the witnesses in the tunnel claimed that there were motorcycles, one in front, one on the side, or two on the side, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was two and one in back. And they're the ones that basically, at a high speed, crashed the limousine. And this Fiat Uno was less involved than everyone is making out. Well, there was uh, so. there was the, the white Fiat Uno, according to, uh, I'm not sure if it was the Stevens inquiry or the, the one previous. And uh, it came up then that the French police had interviewed this Vietnamese security guard who was, who was supposedly one of the driver of the white Fiat Uno. Uh, and they said that according to forensic tests, the, the paint and the rubber on, on his car, again, this is the Vietnamese security guard who was driving a white Uno, it supposedly matched the traces found on the Mercedes. But then we had uh, another version of that, and, and that was, I believe it was, um, uh, well, Richard, I'm not sure if Richard Tomlinson, who was a former British spy, revealed this or someone else, but that according to the other version, the driver of the white Fiat Uno was um, somebody named Addison, who ended up, what, uh, they found him in a burnt-out, uh, the remains of a, the, the, the Fiat Uno in the woods somewhere in France, I think, with a, with a, a bullet uh, in the back of his head. Yeah, he was shot twice in the back of the head, and his body was burned. 
Right, right. You know, it happens, happens to everybody, Richard. You <laughs> sure, know. sure. You know, I mean, this is just everyday thing here, you know. So who was so, who was the driver who, according to your research then, was it the Vietnamese security guard in that white Fiat Uno in the tunnel or was it Adinson? I find it hard to believe that it matters. They're not the ones that caused the accident or killed anybody. Right. I mean, they might have hit the car on the way out. But, you know, this is this is why my evidence, my research is a little bit different. Um I I don't care if Bigfoot was driving the white Fiat Uno. I, I really don't care. It doesn't. It's not. There's a bigger story here, and this is what I'm focusing on: uh, why the French and the British government are cooperating together is beyond me. I mean, these people have had a storied past. They had a hundred years' war mm-hmm. between these two. Um, I, I just can't imagine why one is covering from the other. I, and this is where my book is going to focus on because there's an invisible thread behind all of these governments. There, there are people, there are kings and there are kingmakers, okay? Um, and, of course, the kings are presidents and leaders of country. The kings, ma- the kingmakers are the ones that really put them in power. And there are people who are at high levels who wanted Princess Diana uh, silenced. Um, Princess Diana had a very interesting... Um, very interesting past with car accidents. In uh, when she severed from uh, her husband, from Prince Charles, in probably the most, in the craziest d- divorce that ever was. I mean, she was on British television telling everyone he's not fit to be, he's not fit to be king, and she he, she said all kinds of terrible things about him, and vice versa. Um, the first boyfriend that she had, and I won't mention his name, um, they got caught. Uh, screwing around by another security officer that she had. It was reported. This guy was immediately transferred to another assignment and died in a car accident. 1995, Princess Diana is driving an Audi. Brake failure. She almost died in a car accident in 1995. So, you know, it's interesting how these car accidents and these problems keep surrounding this person and all of the people around, not all of them, but a good percentage of the people around her. What's interesting, what I find really interesting is, um, <laughs> well, the whole thing is kind of interesting, but Paul Burel, the butler, so Princess Diana, yes, who was, uh, you know, really, you know, he was really there for her through thick and thin. And he, he wrote him a letter. My husband is going, I'm going to buy die in a car accident, blah, 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 gives him this letter. This letter never makes it to the inquest, if I'm, if, unless I'm mistaken. They never saw this. This went to Scotland Yard, where it was filed away in a safe, right. and then it I came out I think there was a couple of letters, her. yeah. She, I think she wrote one to Burl, and then she wrote another one uh, to her, um, another one in her barrister. Her attorney uh, sent that to Scotland Yard, where it, I think it remained sealed during the, the Paget inquiry, or the Lord Stevens inquiry. You're right. Well, right, Absolutely. Let's not include it. Um, and you're right. You know, you're absolutely right. There was her barrister was involved. You have to forgive me. I, I've been up for two days straight. I'm on a writing binge, and authors are often uh, insomniacs. <laughs> so, you know, God knows what's going to fly out of my mouth here. But thanks for correcting me on that one. That's uh, you know, that was that was big. There were multiple letters, and they did go to Scotland Yard, and they were not part of the report. Now, you so you I don't know. I don't know how they weren't part of the report. You mentioned, but this is again. This is 
This is confirmation bias at its finest. They're only looking for things that support what they want the outcome to be. Now, you mentioned the motorcycle and the bright light. And again, I mentioned Richard Tomlinson earlier. He was the former, uh, I believe he was MI6. And uh, he talked about how the, the murder of, or the, the, um, the bright light on the back of the motorcycle, uh, like a strobe distracting the driver, how that was used in, the, uh, in an assassination attempt against the Serbian president, uh, Milosevic. And he said that it was eerily uh, similar, the, the uh, details of how Princess Diana may have been taken out. Absolutely. I mean, you... <laughs> Is, is Richard Tomlinson still with us? I believe so. I believe so. Because I, I've tried to contact him on a couple of occasions, and I, I didn't know if he was still with us or not. He, he's got to be up in age now, isn't he? I'm not sure, but I, uh, if he is alive, I'm sure he's keeping a, a pretty low profile. But uh, it, this was, a, uh, I believe he said it was an MI6 plot to kill Milosevic. And again, it included a, a bright flash in a tunnel. Um what else what else sort of doesn't add up for you during that trip to the tunnel uh through the tunnel oh boy uh how much time do you have um <laughs> you know they get there and they're they being the the EMTs you know they're they're called they get there and it's like the Keystone cops get there there's already a doctor on the scene a, pa- a passerby was a doctor who was administering to the people in the uh, in the crash. Dodi Alfied and the driver Henri Paul were killed immediately. Um, and the uh, the person in the um, uh, in the passenger side front was uh, the bodyguard. And his name's escaping me. Oh, Trevor Reese uh, Jones. Trevor Reese Jones. There you go. There you go. See, you're sharper than I am tonight. Look at that. He had his face ripped off, and he had multiple surgeries to you know remain. You know, human-looking. I mean, this guy really, really got tore up bad. So he's administering to uh, you know the the passenger who's her surviving and Princess Diana. And Princess Diana was talking. Apparently, she was talking. She was moaning, but she was conscious. So the the um, emergency medical squad show up. The doctor says, "Okay, you've got it. See you later." They take over, he leaves, and they fiddle around until, you know, it was like, it was an hour and change before they got Princess Diana to uh, to a hospital. This is insane. This is insanity. You know, you have, they passed two hospitals, closer hospitals, getting her to a hospital. It just defies all logic. Right. You know, I mean, I, they claim they, they have this different protocol uh, in, in France where I think they call it stay and play, where they try and stabilize the patient uh, before they get to the hospital. Whereas, I don't know what we call it in, in North America. I think, I think it's called scoop and run or something. You, you take that person, you get him in the back of an ambulance and you race to emergency as fast as you possibly can. Well, I'll tell you what, I, um, the speed of the ambulance has nothing to do with what's going on in the back. The ambulance driver has, he has one job, to get the patient there as fast as they can. And what's going on in the back, you know, that can go, go at any speed. You know, I mean, that's what they're trained to do. And the fact that they're stopping along the way and making excuses for them stopping, taking an hour or so to get her, it's just, it boggles the mind how she was the least injured and ends up ends up dying 
in this. I mean, so all of that combined with suspicious flashing lights, the cameras were not working that night, which was convenient. Yeah, isn't that always the case? uh, We're just coming up on a break here, but you mentioned the cameras. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how many cameras were supposed to be inside Alma Tunnel. But uh, none of them are working. Uh, how do, does that sound familiar? None of the cameras that are pointed at Jeffrey Epstein in his holding cell are working. The cameras surrounding the Pentagon, the most defended building in the world, were a lot of them weren't working. It's kind of a common theme, isn't it? It really is. And when we come back from the break, because I know I put up against a hard break, when we come back, I'm going to talk about how all of these things tend to be the same. The cover-up in this is very similar to the cover-up in the Kennedy assassination. So I guess we'll talk about well, that when you we, get. We have about a, we got about a minute here. Um, you've you've piqued my my interest. How uh, how similar? Give me for instance how it's similar to the JFK. Just a one, and then we'll talk more on the other side. The hastily sanitized death scene. John Kennedy is in Parkland with his head blown off. The Secret Service is out there. We have a crime scene on our hands. They're washing the blood splatter out of the limousine. Right. Right. In case of Princess Diana. She barely is at the hospital. They're already they're already washing down the evidence and reopening the tunnel. Really? How, makes, how that's I wasn't aware how quickly they opened the tunnel. Actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't look for evidence you don't want to find. Right, right. I mean, the whole thing is just and again, uh the the confirmation bias. You know, there were two guns found in uh in um the JFK assassination. The first gun found was a Mauser. The yes. second gun found was a Manlicker Carcano. Okay, evidence. We can't talk about the second gun. We have a second gun. We have a second shooter. They have pictures of it, but we can't talk about it. So let's just exclude that so we can come down to one conclusion. Same thing with Princess Diana. There was evidence, again, given to the French, the French police, that was missing. So all of these things have, in Elvis Presley's death, all the, the his stomach contents were rinsed down the sink at the hospital. How convenient. All right, we, we, we will take that time out now, Steve. Stay with us on the other side. More of my conversation with suspense author, historical researcher Steve Eubaney and his new one available for pre-order is Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you, along with Steve Eubaney, and he is the author. Well, this is, the, I believe, the third in his Who Murdered series, Who Murdered Elvis, Who Murdered FDR, and the brand new one available for pre-order, and we'll tell you how to get that in a moment, is Who Murdered Diana, A Crash by Design. Just uh, before we, uh, we broke, we were talking about, a little bit about Richard Tomlinson, the former MI6, and he is uh, apparently still very much alive. In fact, he's only a year older than I am, so he is getting up there, <laughs> but he's, uh, uh, he's still with us, and uh, his whereabouts uh, unknown, as far as I know. Uh, okay, so we were talking about the similarities between the JFK assassination and Princess Diana's death. You talked about sanitizing the, the crime scene, how they quickly reopened the Elma Tunnel. Uh, you talked about um, evidence that was withheld from the, 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 the French police. Absolutely. I, I want to step in here for a second. This is actually book number four because I did two on Elvis. Oh, that's right. The, the um, anniversary book. Uh, that's right. right. One started the research, the other one concluded the research. Um, so, yeah, uh, as far as um, th- there are common threads that go through all of these, uh, you know, all of these uh, 
And, you know, I hate to call myself a conspiracy guy because I don't even like conspiracies. You know, I'm a history detective and I dig into things that have been revealed and released and uncovered long after these people have died. And I just try and solve these these murders with uh, with new evidence that has been uncovered. Uh, in the case of, of FDR, um, I found a diary that his uh, his cousin uh, published. Her name was Daisy Suckley, and the name of the diary is Closest Companion. In the diary, she's talking to uh, FDR's doctor, and FDR's doctor is saying he's being poisoned, and they have no idea what the cause is. So we didn't know that back then, but as far as... So I hate conspiracies. I do stumble upon them. I'm not a conspiracy writer, but I know them when I see them. And this one's kind of good. Um, loose definition conspiracy. Um, not all conspiracies are frivolous and crazy and, you know, uh, foil hat people. Uh, de- loose definition of conspiracy is uh, two, pe- two people acting in concert to perform an act. So it's overly broad. Um the two words that never should be said together are conspiracy theorist, ever, <laughs> because not all conspiracies are theorists. There are people in court for conspiracy right now. It's That's a real right. thing. Criminal so, conspiracy, right? Um, I always like to clear that up because you know I don't want to be I don't want to be labeled a conspiracy guy. You know I don't care if the Earth is flat. I'm on it. I, you know I'm good with that. Well, so but, I dig into history. Right, but here's um, the thing. This, here's the thing, Stephen. A good homicide detective is a conspiracy theorist. Uh, because he's trying to figure out, okay, who you know, who 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 murdered this person? Who who benefits? Was there more than one person involved? And if there was an accessory to the crime, then that, then you have a conspiracy. So a, a homicide detective, I always argue, should be a conspiracy theorist, and a and an investigative journalist really, as often has to be a conspiracy theorist. I, I mean, I don't. Follow, yeah, I don't. I don't follow, have a problem with the word. You follow the evidence. Um, you know, you, you follow the evidence and the evidence take you where it needs to be and you get your group of suspects. And in all of my books, I run the suspects through motive, means and opportunity. And in the end, based on the screening process, you know, we come up with the person. Um, so anyway, getting back to your question, as far as um, the, the connection, uh, the, uh, the, the some commonalities between JFK and Princess Di. There, there are commonalities all over the place between, uh, I, I don't really want to go into them and dominate the whole show. That'll all be covered in my book. And uh, get a piece of paper and a pen in a second. I'm going to tell you how you can get the book. But to answer your question, um, Elvis Presley's death scene. Okay, they take the body. They take it to Baptist Memorial Hospital. Again, not the closest hospital. Isn't that interesting? Okay, Baptist Memorial was not the closest hospital to Elvis Presley. So they broke protocol to take them, take him, or the corpse of him, to Baptist Memorial, just like Diana, not the closest hospital. Okay, so they come back, they being the EMTs, when they left his bedroom, there was evidence of a struggle, there was papers all over the place, the place was a disaster, you know, it was a mess. They come back, you know, we're possibly 45 minutes to an hour later, the place is spotless. The carpet's been uh, been shampooed. You know, everything has been sanitized and moved, and it's pristine looking. They've just destroyed the, the that, you know, you can't do any sort of an investigation when this happens. Same thing with Kennedy. Here we are cleaning the blood splatter out of the limousine of a president that was just shot in the head. 
you can't do any sort of a good, uh, you know, a good criminal analysis on that at that point. Same thing with Princess Diana. You know, I mean, here she is. She's barely at the hospital. <laughs> they're washing the tunnel down with, with, a, with a hose and they're reopening the tunnel. I mean, it just defies logic. And it defies logic for a reason. It's meant to be a cover-up. And, you know, in Elvis Presley's case... Um, there was there were three toxicology reports done. The third, the first two showed no codeine. The last one showed codeine at eleven times the lethal level. But Elvis Presley was allergic to codeine. And when I talked to Dan Warlick, who dissected his vocal cords, there was no swelling in his body. So we have codeine in one of the three toxicology reports, but not in his body. Right. You can't doesn't make this up. stuff up. Yeah, doesn't add up. You know, uh, back to Princess same thing Di- with uh, Princess. same thing with Princess with Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. The same same thing with with, uh, with her. I mean, all of these things are in play. They all have the same thing. Marilyn Monroe stage death scene. Sonny Liston stage death scene. You know, there's an there's a common thread between all of these people and who they've been involved with. And I'll cover that in my book. I'll cover that in my book, but. You know, Princess Diana, she gets to, by the time they get her to the hospital, she's either been murdered in the ambulance or treatment has been delayed to the point where there's no helping this poor lady. Right. They let her bleed out. Uh, There's absolutely, oh yeah, there's absolutely no reason. It's inexcusable that she would die in a car accident like that. She was in the back seat (laughs) on the opposite side of the impact. Makes no sense. And I've heard that something that was very peculiar in that the the bodyguard Trevor Reese Jones again he's in the passenger seat. Uh, Henri Paul is driving. The security guard Trevor Reese Jones or the bodyguard he buckles up and that's against protocol, which is kind of interesting. As if you know he was ex- I don't know expecting a crash. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think there's a lot. It's very strange. There's a lot of strange things going on. The seat buckles in the car didn't work in the back seat. Did they switch the out seat, the car? My, Did they switch out the car last minute? Was it a different car? To my knowledge, no. Hmm. Uh, you know, and then they have the the uh, Henri Paul, the driver, who is an an MI6 operative, or so they claim, who has bank accounts all over the place worth all kinds of money. And then in, in his toxicology report comes up that he's, you know, he's intoxicated and he's on drugs. And one of the drugs were for worms, which his doctor even confessed. He doesn't know where that came from. So, I mean, all of this, again, planted evidence to twist things around. Um, it, it's all the same. It's, it's, it's a repeat. Once you start digging into these things, as far as I dig into things, and boy, do I dig into things. You start to notice these commonalities involved in one thing to the next to the next. Okay, so I told people to get a piece of paper and a pen, so I'm going to tell them where they can get the book. All right. Uh, go to my website. I'm taking pre-orders for this book, and the book is Who Murdered Diana? And the website is whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com. And we just did a brand new website. We just did it for you. So I hope you like it. Go browse around, ooh and ah, pre-order a book. And uh, I think it'd be very, very impressed. All pre-order books get autographed and numbered, so not all do, not all do, but the pre-orders do. And I'm giving it at a reduced price right now. It's published in May. Uh, it'll be uh, orders that are taken after May will be a little more expensive. So get yourself a book. I think you'll be very impressed with this. Who murdered books? 
Whomurderedbooks.com. Whomurderedbooks.com. Uh, you mentioned Ari Paul. And- all lowercase. All, that's all lowercase, one word. Whomurderedbooks.com. You mentioned Ari Paul and the uh, original uh, toxicology report, and there were several, I think, that were performed. And one said, you know, three times over the alcohol limit, um, although... Uh, people who looked at the the security uh, footage in, inside the Ritz uh, Paris said that he you know he certainly didn't appear drunk. Uh, they also found this was interesting. They found carbon monoxide levels in his blood, and they were so high that he shouldn't have been able to stand, let alone operate a vehicle. Um, so, what do you think? They, did they switch the blood? There was a a theory that maybe the the blood sample was switched. It came from a homeless person who was sleeping over a like a subway grate and or a ventilation system, and hence the carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, it's a great theory. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Well, I hate to involve myself in theories like that because there's no way to really prove it. You know, it's a great theory. I'm sure that it was probably if they <laughs> look at if this if this is um, uh, just like all of the other ones. All of the other deaths that I've met, the commonalities involved in most of these deaths, I'm sure they did alter it. Elvis Presley had three toxicology reports done. Everyone was different. This guy, you know, he had different toxicology reports done. If they they did this, uh, you know, switched it with a homeless person to, you know, to uh, afford blame on this person, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. They're good at this. One would you know, in think. The case of Son- Sorry, go ahead. In the case of Sonny Liston... He was found, uh, he was terrified of needles. He had a real phobia. Even as Dennis said, you, know, you couldn't give him a needle. He was found with needle marks in his arm, with, uh, you know, with, with dope all around him. But there was nothing in his system. Sanitized death scene. It was, it was staged that way. Right. Same thing like Presley's death was staged. Same thing like Princess Diana. And what they do is they plant evidence, they plant documents to twist and contort the story. To sell the story and the narrative that, well, people like quick and easy things. You know, well, Elvis died of a drug overdose. Oh, this person, you know, crashed because he was drunk. All right, we'll take another time. I'm surprised. Sorry. I'm surprised. I've got to jump in here. We'll take a quick time out and come back. Steve Ubaney, Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, whomurderedbooks.com to pre-order. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Beaming across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Steve Ubaney is with us for the full two hours, and we will open up the phone lines in the uh, second hour and take questions and comments. 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. 1-866-740-4740. Were you able to get access to uh, uh, Mohammed Fayed, Al-Fayed or his uh, former investigator, retired Scotland Yard officer John McNamara, who did a lot of in- his investigating? John McNamara is an interesting guy. I've tried very hard to contact both of them, actually. And these people are, they're hard to find. Uh, Jack Firestone, who is mentioned again in the program, he was the eyewitness. He met with, uh, he met with um, uh, Alfied, and I was trying to get an in through him. He can't even contact him anymore. So these people are 
kind of having a pretty low profile moment here. They don't really want to talk about this anymore. You know, they're really, uh, you know, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because the evidence that has come out recently has shed new light on it that they don't want to discuss. Um, you know, I, I really don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But there's something radically wrong in, in this, this whole thing. Princess Diana should be alive today. And, you know, that crash, it was a bad crash. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was that was a bad crash. That shouldn't have been a fatal crash. And, conven- so. and conveniently, uh, well, I don't know. Not surprisingly, on the one hand, uh, tr- uh, Trevor Reese Jones has no memory of what happened because, you know, he went through the windshield, as, as I recall. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, he buckles up. No one else buckles up. That's against protocol. And then he claims he has no memory of the incident. Now, um, the uh, the royal coroner who performed the autopsy, uh, John Burton, he said that, that uh, after performing the autopsy, he laid the rumors to rest that Princess Diana was not pregnant. And, of course, many people have held this out as a possible motive, that she was pregnant with uh, Dodi Fayette's child, meaning she would have been, um, you know, she... Uh, she would have been giving birth to a, um, a Muslim who would have been, I mean, I don't, you know, not in line for the throne. So I'm not, I'm not sure why that would have been a threat. However, that's one of the theories. What did you discover about whether she was pregnant or not? Or does that enter into it? In my mind, no. Um, there, there's <laughs> pretty good uh, um, photo evidence that she was with child. You know, I don't know if the photos were, were doctored or photoshopped or what, but she certainly looked like there was at least a 10 or 12-week baby bump. Matter of fact, I ran this by um, Dr. Cyril Wecht, and I asked him, I said, if this person was pregnant, how, how far along would you would you put this? And he forwarded to, to someone else who was a specialist in the field because he was not. The answer came back 10 to 12 weeks. She was only with Dodi Elfied for a month. So the, if she was, and I said if, that was someone else's child. Right. There was another doctor she was involved with, I believe a, a, a physician from Pakistan, who some believe that she was madly in love with, not so much with Dodi. Hasnik Khan. Yep, absolutely. That was his name. And uh, I hope I'm not butchering that name, but uh, his, name was, his name was Hasnik Khan. And uh, they were on the outs, and she had always... You know, she was really good with with the public and with the paparazzi, and she knew how to manipulate the cameras. You know, she was. I look at her, and she was like a female Elvis Presley. She could never tiptoe into a, into a room. Every camera was on her. She had the most riveting presence, so she knew how to manipulate the media. And that you know, the, the kiss picture of everything on the yacht and this and that that was that was all contrived to get this man that she was madly in love with jealous. To get him to come to the, you know, come to the table and take and scoop up what was rightfully his. So she was using um, Doty to to make Khan jealous. That's my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's it's the opinion of very various other people who are close to her. Um, I think that she liked Doty. I don't think that she was madly in love with Doty. So uh, if she was pregnant with him for a month, according to her butler, Paul Burrell. A month, four weeks. She was at least ten weeks pregnant. So the the math doesn't add up as a motive. So I don't know if anybody else has looked into that. I don't know. Maybe I'm the first. If I'm the first, good for me. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has or not. But you know, you have to kind of look into things like this. 
um, there were other motives involved to get the French and the in the English government to cooperate at this level. And you know, there, there, like I said, there are kings and king makers, and the king makers uh, had a say in this one. There's, there's something higher than these governments involved who are playing with this, you know. And uh, I'll leave it at that because I'll save that for the book, and it'll make perfect sense when you when you read it. Uh, and you know what? This is a conspiracy, Richard. There you go. I didn't think about it. You know what? You're right. This is a conspiracy. Of course it's There's a conspiracy. There's more than a couple people together. Of course you know? it's a conspiracy. No question. I mean, I see, the way I look at the world is this is just the, wor- the way the world operates. And we like to think that we're far you know, less barbaric than we were during the Middle Ages. But if you look at the way that, uh, that um, competing families would, would vie for the throne, you know, whether you're going talking about the, the, the War of the Roses or how uh, Richard III would dispatch with, um, you know, any possible usurper, even a, even a blood relative, he would have them killed. Uh, this is just the way royal families have operated for a thousand years. So why do we think things are different now? I mean, now they don't use a broadsword. They don't, uh, you know, they, they're a little more sophisticated in their methods. But uh, I've always believed this is just the way the world operates. We'll uh, take another time out and uh, come back. Steve Ubaney, the author of the Who Murdered series of books. This is now his fourth. Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. WhoMurderedBooks.com. Get your pre-order. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Princess Diana seemed to have an eerie premonition about her own demise. After separating from Prince Charles, she sent a note to her butler with a disconcertingly accurate prediction. Quote, I am sitting here at my desk today in October, longing for someone to hug me and encourage me to keep strong and hold my head high. This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. Someone is planning an accident in my car, brake failure, and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry, she wrote. Uh, So, that's how Princess Diana predicted her own tragic end. Steve Ubaney is uh, my guest for the full two hours, and his book is Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase, uh, the website where you can pre-order. So let's talk about some of the motives. So Charles couldn't remarry if Diana was still alive. True? Big motive. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely a big motive there. Right. And uh, there's... (laughs) There's been great authors who have investigated this. Uh, John Morton, Alan Power... Andrew Morton, people who have written before me on this. Uh, and I'd like to say that my, uh, you know, they, they do great work. And I'm not going to discredit anybody who's written before me. But my book is a little different because of the motive, means, and opportunity that I screen people through. So I kind of pick up where they leave off and dig a little deeper. As far as motive is concerned, absolutely that's a motive. Um, you know, there's a couple of other ones uh, that, are, that are out there that are pretty big. 
Well, w- one motive has been suggested that the royal family didn't approve of her then-boyfriend, Dodi Fayed. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it had maybe to do more with the father, uh, a potential father-in-law, if, in fact, she was going to be engaged. And I don't, there doesn't seem to be much evidence for that. As you point out, she was in love with uh, this Dr. Khan from uh, Pakistan. Um, so the idea that the royal family didn't approve of Dodi Fayed maybe more had to do with Muhammad al-Fayed. Um, and uh, I, I guess he was a bit of a thorn in their side. But um, what do you think of that motive, that the family simply didn't like her, her uh, hanging around with uh, Fayed? Well, you're, you're right. Um, but I, I want to, you know, there's... You know, we've dug into this. Richard, you did a whole show on this back in the 90s. People don't know this. It was a television show. So you're really well-versed in this. So we have to back up a little bit and explain this to some people who are listening who might not know this. These people all knew each other. Princess Diana was not a commoner. Her father was an earl. Okay. She grew up. Prince Charles actually dated her sister. These people had, you know, estates next to each other. They grew up. They all knew each other. Uh, so she was not a commoner. Her father was an earl. Um, she was definitely on Prince Charles' radar when it came time to marry because she was a virgin. So uh, I just wanted to dispel the myth on that. Now, as far as uh, Muhammad Alfayette is concerned, he was definitely a thorn <laughs> to the royal family. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. La- I'm trying to con- contain my laughter here because I just. Uh, I was I was up writing last night about this very same thing. Um, he had he bought the uh, the the uh, department store chain Harrods, yes, which was which was a big thing in, uh, and he was not going to be bullied around, or he was not going to play the uh, the royal family's game. So he was in, he was indeed a thorn for them. Uh, marrying into that family was definitely a, a big motive. Definitely a big motive. You know, they would not have wanted to be commingled with, you know, with that. And we also have to talk for a second about what you were saying before the break about, you know, for a thousand years, how how royalty has done this. And, you know, I believe that there were two Chinese philosophers that fought to the death over this question. Are people basically good or are people basically bad? And we have to come to the real, we have to get, it's true, they aren't, I don't remember the philosophers' names, but the one who believed the people were basically bad killed the one who believed that they were basically good. So, we have to come to the realization in our minds and not be so naive that there are bad people in this world, and they do bad things, and they try very hard to, to cover themselves after they do it. Um, you know, if there wasn't darkness, there'd be nothing to judge the light by. Okay, so there are bad people in this world who want to do things for their motives. That's what separates my book from some of the other books that are out there. I take these people and I run them through motive, means, and opportunity. And I will show you the people who come through because they don't always come through. You know, some people have motive, but they're not available to do it. They're not in that spot. You know, so uh, I think that that's what separates my book from some of the other books that are out there. But... Um, there's definitely motive all over the place here. Um, how they protect, I, I ran across something, uh, about it was several months ago. I don't know if we talked about this or not, but how they protect the Royal family when they are in a motorcade, they have a big motorcycle go in front of the motorcade. 
They are lined on both sides with the motorcycles and a big motorcycle in back, all of which are armed. But she, exactly no, she was no longer afforded that, correct? Correct. But that's exactly what happened. That's how they got the, uh, in the, uh, the Alma Tunnel, that's exactly how they got that right, get them to steer into the, into the, into the uh, 13th pylon. Because of the motorcycles and the flash and, and, and steering over. And I don't believe that anybody would be going at a high rate of speed to get away from cameras. I think there was a little something else involved there, which I'll save for the book. Um, it's quite a book. I don't believe, I mean, nobody's going to go 75, 80 miles an hour at a full run through a tunnel to crash into a thing uh, when you know, they, they were taking pictures of them all over the place. Um, Dodi Alfied's uh, bodyguards and the people that surrounded him were giving tips to the paparazzi they're kind of on their payroll as to where they're going to be so they could get the pictures, so they could sell the pictures to the media and make all kinds of money. So they were not shying away from pictures. It's a camera. It's not going to make you go 80 miles an hour into a pylon. So there's something else at play here. Uh, so I don't know. Like I said, I well, don't know if anybody has looked at it that way or not, but there's more. There's something more that was going on. Uh, let's talk again about Trevor Reese Jones. He was a he was a member of the the crack parachute regiment. It's one of the toughest in the British Army. He he completed a couple of stints in Northern Ireland. He served in the Royal uh, Military Police. Just the kind of background that would have maybe put him in contact with members of the Secret Service. Uh, does he come under your spotlight as a possible suspect? I'm not going to comment on, on him um, because I don't I don't want I don't want to save that for the book. But well, you got to give us something he, here because people you know we're he, on for two hours. People are listening; they want to hear a little something. He was he was he was definitely everything that you said is correct. He was he was definitely a you know he was definitely a bad boy. What I would do is uh, if I were planning this, and I, I believe that Trevor Reese Jones remembers this. Okay, I think it's I think he's just saying he doesn't remember because he doesn't want to be involved in this. Could you imagine the hounding that he would be under if he remembered details and said all these things out loud? I'm sure that he remembers what was going on. Um, he definitely would know how they would protect the royal family. He would definitely know all the ins and outs and protocols of how they move important people from one place to the next. So, you know, he's, he's definitely a person of interest in my book, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what about uh, the old uh, chestnut, you know, rogue elements within any intelligence organization? And there are rogue elements. We're seeing that play out in the news now in the south of the border. Uh, are there, do you examine the possibility that a rogue element, even one or two people within MI6 decided maybe on a wink and a nod from someone higher up, you know, she's really getting to be a pain in the royal butt. Maybe we should do something about her, and maybe someone took it to heart. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, these rogue elements are, are they're absolutely true. I mean, and this this is going on, I'm coming in, I'm not Canadian, I'm, I'm in America. In, in American history, the FBI and the, and the mob have leaked back and forth like a sieve for years, even way before Kennedy all the way up through the Elvis Presley thing, all the way up, and it's still leaking back and forth. And in this situation, I'm sure it was exactly the same. There were elements involved where, you know, Princess Diana was, <laughs> they didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know what to do with her. The royal family has to hold themselves to a certain 
level of conduct. You know, they're supposed to hold themselves to a, to a higher class, a higher standard. And here you have her on television saying that Prince Charles is not fit to be king. There are three of us in this marriage. And it got to the point where they didn't know what the hell to do with her. You know, they can't, they can't continue being slapped in the nose like this. But there's no, no one had ever done this before. No one had ever, ever broken ranks like this and exposed all of their little dirty secrets, especially in a public venue like television. You know, I mean, this was, they really had no idea what to do. Right. That was so, a panorama interview on BBC with Martin Bashir. And some have said that, that utterance, he's not fit to be king, was the nail in her coffin. We'll take another uh, time out. Oh, we still have about uh, a minute to go here. Um, what about the possibility that a that a, a a business enemy of either Muhammad or of Muhammad Fayed was responsible, and that the real target was Dodi? Did you examine that? Yeah, Dodi Alfiad definitely. Um, he he was a Hollywood film producer. He had a couple under his belt, um, and he was good at what he did. But he was uh, he was also in, in, engaged to be married to an actress who he dumped for Princess Diana. So there were some people in Hollywood who didn't necessarily like Dodie. So, you know, that's that's a road as well. You know, there's there's a there's a lot to this. There's a lot of twists and turns in the people. All right. We'll take some twists and turns when we come back. Steve Ubaney, my guest, the author of Who Murdered Diana right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. From Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. And a big howdy to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zuma Radio here in Toronto, Canada. Hiya to all of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey you, checking us out on the Zuma Radio app, the Conspiracy Show podcast, available wherever you get your fine podcasts. And of course our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And those of you in the live YouTube chat who join us every week without fail. However and wherever... You're listening. I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Steve Ubaney is an historical researcher and a suspense writer and the author of the Who Murdered series of books. His latest is Who Murdered Diana, A Crash by Design. Um, we've, been, we've been talking about some of the suspects. We, we talked about uh, Trevor Reese Jones, the, uh, the bodyguard who... Uh, miraculously survived the crash, uh, although um, broke with protocol by doing up his seatbelt when no one else's seatbelt appeared to be working, and then conveniently claimed he didn't remember anything after the fact. Uh, perhaps a rogue element inside uh, MI6, perhaps a, uh, a, an enemy of uh, Dodi Fayed or Mohammed El Fayed. Um, who else is on your radar in terms of a suspect that I haven't mentioned? I, 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 well, we haven't mentioned Prince Philip. Absolutely. Prince, <laughs> Prince Philip is a guy who can make a lot of things happen with one phone call. This is a, this is a 
very highly connected person um, in the royal family. There's something else I wanted to add that was suspicious about the car. If we can just yes. regress here for a second. Uh, it was a Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz offered to examine the car and give a non-biased report, a third-party report, as to what happened. No one would let them near the car. So I thought that was, uh, they offered on multiple occasions when it was, was being researched and investigated and this and that. And they said, we'll send a team out. So give us the car. We'll send a team out and we'll, we'll go through the car with a fine-tooth comb and see if there was anything suspicious or anything wrong or anything that um, right. had to do with the right. failure of our automobile. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't let them anywhere near the car. And to me, that's a little goofy. So uh, with that, we'll talk about. Um, well, let me just we'll pursue that. Uh, let me just pursue that a moment because. So, did the did the Paget uh, inquiry or the the Lord Stevens inquiry did they examine the car? I mean, they didn't let Mercedes examine the car. But what about uh, the inquiry? Did they look at the brakes, for example? Did they examine to see if there was anything mechanically wrong? But to my knowledge, they didn't examine it at all. They didn't even send anybody out there to look at the skid marks to figure out how fast they were and do the math and figure out how long they were. I mean, it's the amount of evidence that was missing from this report is it's really it's it's incredible, really, how you could come to a conclusion uh, and put the final uh, you know exclamation mark on someone's death without doing any sort of real evidence and research. But again, I have to come back to this this confirmation bias. Don't look for things that you don't want to find. We have to wrap things up in a tidy little bow. You know, the lie is usually, the loudest voice is usually a lie. I've noticed this. You know, after the loudest voice, then the truth comes along in whispers. And it's when those whispers happen that people like me get involved and we start to investigate things. But the first one out of the gate, people like to be everything to be wrapped up in a little tight package. You know, Lee Harvey Oswald shot John F. Kennedy, case closed, next case. And, of course, now there's a lot of evidence of, uh, uh, to support that there was more than one shooter. If well, they're still trying to, you know, figure that out. In this situation, you know, oh, it was a drunk driver, case closed, next case. You know, they like to hang these little labels on things to get people to move along. And, and, and sometimes it's very, very difficult for that. And, you know, when you have... When you have Princess Diana dying in a car, and you won't let anyone examine the car, that's beyond tolerance. Very, very suspicious. So uh, either they perhaps fixed the brakes, or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it would be fairly simple to um, cause a sudden acceleration uh, in the automobile without stepping on the gas, and that may have explained why Henri Paul lost control and hit hit the uh, the thirteenth column under the uh, the Alma Bridge. Yeah, there's you know somebody said there's uh, six hundred feet of wiring in an automobile. That's a lot that can be screwed with. So there's any number of systems in an automobile that you can tamper with. I'm not suggesting that they, that happened, but I'm saying that hypothetically, there's a lot of things that you could do to a car to create a crash. And, you know, again, I mean, you just go back into the track record. You know, the, the boyfriend died in, in, a, in, <laughs> in a car accident. 
you know, her first boyfriend that was a security officer that was in charge of her. She had brake failure in 1995 driving an Audi. She wrote the, lo- the note that said she was going to die in a car accident. She dies in a car accident. You know, I mean, what do we need? A piece of Skylab to fall on us? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> how, do you, how do you even look at this and not realize that there's something going on here? All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phones, and we'll welcome Bob from Fenland Falls, Ontario. Bob, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Do we have Hello? Bob there? Hey, Bob, you're on. Go ahead. Oh, um, actually, I think you've got the wrong, wrong guy. Actually, my name's Kyle. All right, Kyle. And um, I'm in Brantford. Okay, Kyle. Um, anyways, I just wanted to call uh, regarding... The fact that um, Diana was apparently ten to twelve weeks pregnant—that that wasn't possible. Um, she, at the time, if she had been with Hazma, uh, sorry, with Hazmat Khan, uh, she and he had actually broken up uh, due to the fact that he was a very private man and um, wasn't willing to put his uh, life out in the open because then be, literally become Mr. Princess Diana type thing. Um, I don't see how she was pregnant, and it was also in the autopsy report stating that they had done uh, blood work looking for the pregnancy hormone, and it was at normal levels. Well, yes. I mean, that's the question, though. Do we believe the royal court uh, coroner uh, who said there was no indication that she was pregnant? Uh, But then one has to ask, you know, why the rush for a partial embalming? Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing, too, is is that uh, when it was stated that she had... uh, she was the least injured, from what I read and from what the research I've done. I, I'm a monarchist, I will be honest with you. Um, but from what I have read, um, she had like massive internal bleeding, a punctured lung, uh, broken ribs, a broken arm. Uh, but for some reason, when the body was viewed by Charles and or Prince Charles and others, her family, they all said that she looked normal, but. Even so, there was uh, the doctors had said that when she came in, she was really badly beaten up on the inside. Right, right. But what about the the, the so-called protocol uh, that they use in France, where they they try and stabilize the person person at the scene, uh, and they would actually pull the ambulance over in an attempt to stabilize her, versus the American or North American version, which is the is uh, they call it scoop and run. Right. You, you you get that person to if you suspect internal bleeding. Uh, you're not going to solve it in the back of an ambulance, certainly not pulled over on the side of the road. You've got to get that person to ER as, into surgery as quickly as possible. Well, they, they also stated that um, when she was en route from the accident site to the, to the hospital, um, she went into cardiac arrest at least once. They managed to pull her back, um, and then they, took her to the, uh, they, they got her to the hospital, and then, of course, they rushed her into surgery, and we all know what ultimately happened. Right. But um, the fact was, I, I honestly believe, in my, in, in my opinion, I believe it was just a tragic accident. She was, a, you know, she was hunted and mercilessly, like the, the, the paparazzi were on her, you know, 24-7. They wouldn't leave her alone. And I think what ultimately happened here was that she was just um, in the wrong place at the wrong time and... It was just a tragic accident. Right. Well, the paparazzi were exonerated, and the, the blame really was placed on Henri Paul. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle. Thank you for that. I appreciate okay. it. Did you want to add anything to that, Steve, before we move along? No, I, uh, I ran across all the same evidence that the caller, uh, that Kyle ran across. Um, 
I don't, I don't, frankly, don't care if she was pregnant or not. Uh, I don't think that had anything to do with it. Um, there are some pretty good, pretty good pictures that suggest that she had quite a baby bump going on. Who the father was, I don't know, and I don't care. Um, but you know, that's I believe that that was any sort of motive in this. Uh, but if they were claiming how the how the question was posed was, you know, do you believe that this was uh, Dodi Alfied's child? And in the time allotted, it wouldn't have, if in fact that happened, there wouldn't have been any sort of time that matched the baby bump that was apparent in the photograph. Right. Um, as far as that's concerned. And again, um, thing, you know, she was, uh, Princess Diana was, she was, she was hurt pretty badly. You know, I don't doubt that um, they uh, that she had internal bleeding. I don't doubt that she had a broken arm. I don't doubt that she had any sort of multiple contusions and lacerations. I'm sure she did. She was in a, a high-speed car accident. But I don't think there's any defense for... If she was that broken up inside, they would have taken her to a closer hospital. Or the hospital... You know, look, what goes on in the back of an ambulance has nothing to do with how fast they're going. It makes no sense. It doesn't add up. Right. You know, if, if you if know had... that you've got somebody who was in cardiac arrest. Right. Right. Sorry. Just keep driving. No, I'm just gonna. I was just gonna add. Yeah, sure. If 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 the person is, um, if you're gonna lose that person, you and you're gonna apply the paddles, you know, to uh, to to resuscitate them. You it, you don't need to stop. I don't see why you need to stop the ambulance and pull it over to the side of the road. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. You know, and if she was broken up that badly, it wouldn't have taken him an hour plus to get her to a to a hospital. It just none of it adds up. It doesn't make any sense. So, Kyle, thanks, and I can tell that you really looked into this, and I appreciate your call. All right, let's say hi to Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, welcome. Hi, I just want to have the callers ask themselves: Have have do they believe that people agree to do wrong? Because the definition of conspiracy here in the dictionary is an agreement to do wrong, a plot. So I'm sure that in this world, millions of times a second, people are conspiring to do wrong to others. So people who don't believe in conspiracy should look up the definition in the dictionary. Uh, but I remember reading a book lately on the Tsar and how he was executed and his family. Well, before he was executed, they were on a train, and they were going to, actually they could have survived, but the English crown refused to take Nikki because they were concerned, and this is historically not by quote-unquote conspiracy theorists, but that they did not want the competition of uh, Nikki coming back to England and possibly his family uh, claiming uh, part of the throne or, or the wealth or whatever that was there. So I, I, I do truly believe that there's all these possibilities. But the other thing is, in our personal lives here in, in Canada, we know that there are certain institutions that do conspire to do wrong. They know that they've done wrong, and the chiefs higher up do nothing about it. For example, on W5 the other day. Okay, I don't want to get too far, far adrift from what we're, we're discussing. Yeah, yeah here, but I'm just time. saying yeah. that people have to ask themselves, do people conspire to do wrong? And also, was there insurance on Princess Diana? Could it have been somebody who who would, wanted to collect the insurance? Not that she was poor or the English crown was poor, but it could have been as simple as that. Maybe they wanted insurance on Dodi Fayed or insurance on the driver or the other guy. And maybe this that's what this was all about. All right, Melly, thank you as always. Good to hear from you again. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Um, 
What about the idea that, again, if we're thinking about, you know, you mentioned France and England uh, had been, have been at war multiple times for hundreds of years. Uh, is it possible that some rogue element with inside the French government saw an opportunity to knock someone off from the British royal family, even though, you know, they were estranged and, and decided, you know, to, to do that? I think anything's possible when you come to something like that. Like I said, I think we have to come to the realization that there are bad people in this world, and they do, you know, share motives. Um, you know, we're, there are different, um, Melanie, there are different uh, um, definitions of conspiracy. Um, the legal definition of conspiracy here in America is an agreement between two or more people to commit an illegal act that you know, may be judged illegal in the, at, the, at some point in the future. So there are different definitions depending, of course, we're dealing with different countries. So there are different, uh, you know, different definitions out there. But uh, sure, anything's possible. I don't, uh, I haven't looked into that as far as, um, you know, looking into um, if insurance money was, uh, you know, she mentioned that. That's interesting. I never thought of that. Never looked into that. Um, it might have been just something between the French and English government where they had a chance to take both of them out. I think personally that I think it was a twofer. I think it was an opportunity to get both of them at one time. And I think that there were murderers involved, not one. I think that this was well contrived. And I think that it was beyond the scope of both governments. And we have, you know, since one of the French and English cover up for each other. That's an interesting point. Um, very, very interesting. Let's talk about the uh, the uh, the family tree here, and the the Spencer family. I believe could trace their genealogy back to the Stuarts, maybe even further back to the Tudors. One could argue they had a legitimate claim to the throne, more more of a legitimate claim than uh, Saxe Coburg Gotha or the Windsor family. Did you look into that? I actually did. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about that. I don't know. I, I don't know how the the uh, the royal family ended up being in that position and not the other one because the Spencer family is their lineage is just as impressive as the other ones. So that's yeah. I did. I did look into that. That was very. Uh, I'm actually still looking into the lineage. All right. Because I believe that there's more there. Than, than meets the eye. Okay. You know, I mean, this is a beast with 10 heads we're working on here. Let's say hi to Lloyd in New Jersey. Lloyd, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm well. I've been listening to some of this show. Very intriguing. I've known most of these things. It's definitely uh, a beast with 10 heads, as you just said. Um, and I, listen, the royal family, as you can see it right now, is falling apart. And there's been a lot of embarrassment for decades. And my personal opinion concerning Diana specifically was her relationship with Fayed, Dodi Fayed. It would bring uh, shame upon the royal family. Mm. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I think that's how it was viewed. I definitely tend to lean towards the, you know, conspiracy to murder side. Now, I just want to throw an idea out there, because right now you have a similar thing going on with Prince Harry, somebody from outside the fold, with Meghan Markle. <laughs> so I have no idea where any of this stuff is going to wind up, but 
They don't call the British the bloody British for nothing. All right. Lloyd, thank you for that. Yes. Appreciate your call. Uh, I, don't, I don't quite understand how the royal family would have been concerned or why the royal family would have been concerned with an ex... Well, she was a princess. She, she retained her title. But she was no longer, you know, the... Um, no longer a threat to them as far as I can tell. And simply because she was, what, marrying or dating... Dating. Let's be clear about this. She wasn't marrying. She was dating a Muslim. So what? Um, now, had she become the queen mother and her consort was uh, a Muslim, then maybe, I don't know, uh, you know, might have been a threat to the Church of England. I, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. What do you think, Stephen? Well, I don't know. I think Lloyd raises a really good point. Um, the royal family is falling apart. They are trying to assert rules and live by rules in a higher echelon that are tending to not apply anymore. Uh, and look at Harry and look at, look at what's going on right now. You know, um, and Harry, for if what I read is correct, is so traumatized by uh, his mother's death that he's still in therapy for it. Well, this raises so a good heart, question. Yeah, do you your think your heart has to just bleed for this kid? You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. But as far as you know, they need to keep up appearances to make them to justify the royal, you know, the crown and all of that. They have to be different and special and higher echelon. And for them to be tarnished in a certain way, for them to you'd have to realize now there are kings and kingmakers. If she was, this is two Muslims in a row now, correct? Hazlitt Khan, I believe, was a Muslim, and so was this other person, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You know, there are powers at play here where, you know, the world was much, much bigger back then. It's small today. It's been connected with a lot of different things. Back then, the world was a little bit bigger, and we weren't, we're not going to play with their country and their religion because it puts in jeopardy some of the wars that we might have going on. It puts in jeopardy a lot of trade. You know, the British, you know, they, they're pretty good in trade. There's a lot of things that could come in, uh, in, in into question if that was to happen. You know, here we have someone who was married to Prince Charles, who was on British television calling him everything but a white guy. And here she is. I mean, she's just, she was just disgracing the royal family all over the place. All right. We'll take another so, quick time out, Stephen. On the other side, more of your phone calls, more of my conversation with Steve Ubaney, the author of Who Murdered Diana? Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. It sounds like the stuff of a uh, Le Care novel or... Yanian Fleming novel. Did the uh, intelligence agencies within Britain and France perhaps co-conspire to knock off or assassinate Princess Diana? Uh, Steve Ubaney is my guest, the author of Who Murdered Diana, and uh, his series of Who Murdered Books can be ordered from whomurderedbooks.com. This is the fourth in the series, uh, Who Murdered Elvis, and then the fifth anniversary, and Who Murdered FDR, again, Who Murdered Diana, the, uh, the fourth in the series. How, how many will there be uh, eventually, Steve? How many Who Murdered Books? Well, there's going to be five subjects and, and of course, six books connected to on Elvis. So Tesla is coming out later this year and because uh, his death was very suspicious. And I'm going to wrap it up next year with uh, 
I can't believe I'm going to put my nose in the JFK trough, but I just have to. Um, there's some new evidence there that nobody has uh, has come across. So there's going to be there's going to be six books all told. Uh, I remember when I was uh, in London, and we this was in 2010. We were doing uh, season two of the TV show, and I went into Harrods, and uh, at that time I can't remember. Yes, it was still owned by uh, the Fayed family, and um, there was a uh, a display of the engagement ring, the supposed engagement ring that Dodie had bought for Princess Diana. Uh, although, uh, I, friends of Diana's have, have come forward and said, um, they asked her, do you think he's going to give you a ring? And she said, well, if he does, it's going firmly on my right hand, which means people, I guess, they wear the engagement on the, on the left. So it's going firmly on my right hand, meaning I am not marrying uh, Dodi Fayette. And apparently no ring was presented to her, as far as we can tell. So um, it's been suggested then that Muhammad Fayed uh, sort of played up this idea that his son, his late son, had proposed to Princess Diana. Uh, let's say hi to Judy. Judy's in New York. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Judy. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank uh, you. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I'd like to make a couple of comments. I lived in Europe uh, for four years, and I drove that tunnel three times. It's the tunnel under the city of Paris. And all of that area is well lit with amber lights and other types of lighting. And when they showed the photograph of that car that was damaged, it was up against the wall on the opposite side of the road, which means any motorcycles on that side, the driver's side, they would have been crushed. So I don't know where they went to. But according to the photograph, the doors on Diana's side, you could open, which was the passenger side, and also the uh, the guard, whoever he was, in the front seat. Uh, and the doctor, the first person up there who got there first, he said that uh, she was very badly uh, hurt, and her heart was even almost out of her chest. I don't know if uh, if you looked into that or not. I know you mentioned injuries and that. Right. I and also, having the car behind the hotel, I stayed there with my mother once. You can park the car in the back. But the point is, the driver always stays with the car or the guards. And they also said that it wasn't just the accident, because when you drive through that tunnel, it is all curves, and you cannot pick up speed like that. And the car, as they said, looked like it had been bombed. There was a bomb underneath, and maybe that was the smoke or whatever it was that was uh, in his blood or whatever they decided the driver. Ah, I just wanted I just wanted to mention that because I have been to Paris three times. I know the area. I stayed at the hotel, and uh, there is no way you can pick up speed to seventy five miles an hour. That's interesting. So you've driven that that tunnel under the Elma Bridge, and it's very yes, windy. Yes, I have. Under okay. the, it goes under the city. I always drove it at three o'clock in the morning because it's the easiest way to get into Paris because of the traffic on the Champs-Élysées. Fascinating. That I wasn't aware of. All right, Judy, thanks for that information. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Good, good, good show. Thank I, you. I appreciate it. A bomb. What do you think of that, Stephen? Have you come across that theory? I actually have heard uh, there's, there's a, an eyewitness out there that, that had suggested that. Um, uh, Judy, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, I, you know, I have not been to the tunnel. 
I know people who have been to the tunnel. You're another person who said the exact same thing. You can't get to that speed in that tunnel. So there was something else going on. And, you know, what What were they running from? It, it just The whole thing doesn't make any sense. The whole, the whole paparazzi thing doesn't make any sense. Princess Diana was flirting with the paparazzi. It was, she was posing for pictures. You know, she was always, you know, in limos and, and giving people million-dollar shots that they were selling to, to, the, to the tabloids and so forth. And people were making their entire livelihoods on taking pictures of this woman who had these piercing blue eyes and this beautiful plume of hair. You know, she was very photogenic, and she played it up. And all of a sudden, are afraid of photographers? Makes no sense to me. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I have heard that before. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great input, Judy. Thank you for your call. Let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga. Mike, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, interesting topic. Thanks for taking my call. Three points to make. First, uh, Princess Di, I think she was foolish into thinking that she could actually find happiness with Dodi Fayet. And maybe she was just attracted to him because he had enough wealth to keep her, you know, out of the, out of the, the paparazzi's view. You know, he could protect her with his wealth. My second point is, the bodyguard, I mean, the driver, if the driver was that inebriated, wouldn't the bodyguard have noticed that? Wouldn't he have smelled his breath? Wouldn't he be checking that all out? Isn't that, isn't that what a bodyguard Excellent security point. does? Excellent point, Mike. Yes. And my third point is that um, um, I heard somewhere that um, when they got her to the hospital, she was still alive. And that the actual French, the French doctors in the hospital, were surprised that she had died because they they thought that her condition was was well enough that she could have pulled through um, during the surgery, and that didn't British doctors come in and actually attend to her after the after the French, and and they thought that maybe they had killed her. I've heard so many conflicting reports. I don't know what to believe. Steve, unravel that for us. Were there British surgeons on the scene? <laughs> To my knowledge, it was only French on the scene, and the British came in afterwards and examined the body and said, you know, there was no way that she should have died of this. That's not to suggest that she wasn't in, bad, in a bad way, but she should have survived that crash. Beyond question, she should have survived. Um, and, you know, you, you raise a really good point. That bodyguard was, or I'm sorry, the driver, Henri Paul, was not intoxicated. They have him on, fit, on video. Walking up and down stairs, tying his shoes. If he was as inebriated with alcohol and or um, you know whatever was in his system, whatever else was in his system, um, carbon monoxide, he would have been comatose. Something doesn't add up. It just doesn't wash. I believe the you family know, members of uh, of of Henri Pauls uh, stated categorically he was no more than a social drinker. Absolutely. Yep. And they've actually, they actually have, there's been one investigator in particular who interviewed the people who saw him that night before he got in the car. And he was talking and walking around. You know, he had a couple of drinks, but they were, you know, they were like, they were light fruity drinks. They were nothing heavy. And he was walking and talking as usual. So I don't know where this is coming from, but there's been, you know, I just want to say that this has been researched and written about and re-researched and written about for 20 years. 
I'm definitely not the first one who's looked into this stuff. So all of this, most of this is out there. There's a little bit of new information out there. So my book's going to be a little different than what's already out there. But there's been some tremendous work done in this field. So a lot of this information has been covered in, uh, you know, in, in some of the other work. But uh, it's a shame that John Morgan's not with us anymore. He uh, he really did some he did some tremendous work in this field for sure. So, Mike and Mrs. Sager, thank you for that. Uh, let's do. I have time for another one? Yeah, one quick call here. Adrian's in Scarborough tonight. Adrian, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Thanks, Richard. Quick question for Stephen. Um, in all of this, I gotta I, I gotta think that is there any thing about Prince William or Prince Harry having any suspicion or any insight into the possibility that their mom was murdered? I mean, I, out of all out of all people, those two, I would imagine, have got to, you know, assuming that this is the case, would have some kind of um, insight into that or suspicion or even anger about that. Uh, anything on that that you came across? Uh, thanks for your call. Um, I did not come across anything like that, and I can't speak for them. Um, I, if one thing that I did hear was that Harry was was uh, you know was was still in, in therapy, and the two boys were different. Uh, William was much more like Charles. He was reserved. He was calm. He was very quiet. Harry was like Diana. He was full of fun. He was a good time. He was always laughing. So you had these two kids who were different. Um, I, you know, they're not blind. And I'm sure that they have heard everything that we have heard. Right. Can you imagine I don't know if, they, if, if it was a member of their family that, uh, that's responsible and they know that, how difficult that would be for them? We'll take another time out, come back, take some more calls. Steve Ubaney, the author of Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Uh, Next week on the program, Dr. Cass Ingram will be uh, here to talk about coronavirus uh, COVID-19 is now being uh, called. And also, uh, L.A. psychic Sloan Bella will weigh in with her own thoughts on coronavirus, uh, the uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, uh, perhaps the, the U.S. presidential election upcoming later this year, and more. That's next week on the program, Dr. Cass Ingram and Sloan Bella. Steve Ubaney stays with us, the author of Who Murdered Diana. This is the fourth in his Who Murdered series of books. And you can uh, pre-order Who Murdered Diana, which is uh, the actual publication date is in May, if you go to whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com, all lowercase, and uh, you'll get yourself an autographed copy. Uh, we all remember... Those uh, images, uh, very early on in uh, in 97, uh, January, I believe, uh, Princess Diana was Angola in Angola. Uh, she was meeting landmine survivors. She was uh, raising the profile of the work being done to clear landmines, not only in Angola, but around the world. And um, I want to I get your take on whether her work in that field may have contributed to, to her death or her assassination. Well, Richard, that's a great point. We haven't talked about that yet. I was wondering, I was kind of wondering we were going to get around to that because I think there's a lot of validity to that. 
Um, Princess Diana, outside of tweaking the nose of the royal family, she started, I mean, she was bigger than life. I mean, when she was, when she would speak, everybody would listen. And she started to get involved in international politics. Um, she started to talk about uh, anti-landmines, anti-weaponry, things, things like that. And, you know, she got involved in Bosnia, you know, that uh, afterwards with the landmines and so forth. And there's big money in war. There's big, big money in war. There's billions of dollars in war and arms brokers and machinery and weaponry and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, if she was threatening the livelihood of some of these people, there's motive all over that. And those are so well, like I said, like I've always said, they're kings and kingmakers. Those people would be some kingmakers. These are people who are really high behind the governments, real high up. So, you know, that's that's definitely uh, that's definitely a motive for sure. Well, the other interesting connection then with the landmines, I don't know if the Khashoggi family, of course, renowned, uh, you know, weapons sellers, arms sellers, uh, were connected with landmines. But uh, Dodi, his mother was a Khashoggi. This was uh, Fayed's first marriage. Um, so. I don't know. Is there a connection there between the Khashoggi family? You know, that's really spooky. I, uh, <laughs> my blood really ran cold when I ran across that. I had run across that. And here we have uh, Doty's uncle is one of the biggest arms brokers in the world. And you know, what an interesting twist that is. I, I would love to say that that's uh, more than a coincidence, but I think that's all it is. Uh, that would be... Uh, <laughs> That, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't, I had to read that three times when I ran across that in the research. I just couldn't believe that, you know, that that was like that. But, you know, I mean, now and then you run across some things that just really, really knock your socks off. And that was one of the things that I, uh, that I uncovered that I was really surprised with. All right. Let's say hi to Francis in Toronto. Francis, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, good morning. Yes, a wonderful show, Richard. And, and uh, I wanted to mention that I had the occasion to meet the best friend of Henri Paul, and he told me, this was in January 1997, he told me that Henri Paul was only a social drinker, and he was absolutely honored to be the driver of Princess Diana, and never would he take advantage or do any reckless, reckless affairs around that position. And absolutely, he was not responsible well, now, let me just get the timing straight here, because they died in August of 97. You said Sorry, you... this was January 98. Pardon 98. me. Okay, well, that makes Pardon sense. Me, that's right. Okay. January 98. I'm, I had the occasion to meet him. And, of course, it was still news of the day. And he he was just adamant that his friend was would never be inebriated in his day-to-day living anyway, especially doing that job. He said he just felt very privileged and honored to be the chauffeur of Princess Diana. And so I wanted to mention that. And another, curiously enough, my uh, my uncle was with a Fortune 500 company, and he had dealings annually with Prince Philip. And he was ultra conservative. He just passed away at age 92 years ago. And I had the occasion to ask him, of course, right after this occurred, because he used to go and have uh, dinner at Buckingham Palace annually. And he knew Princess Diana. And Prince Charles and Prince Philip and the Queen and, and all of them. 
and he would he would be there every year, as I said. So he had a history with the family. And I asked him, what, what are your thoughts of this? And he said, without missing a beat, there's no question she was taken out. And, and I was really quite taken aback because he was so conservative. And, of course, in those days, in 19, as you say, 1998, it... it I don't think a lot of people had really put the pieces together as they have now today with all the research that has been done. So I just thought I'd, I'd add that in. Francis, thank you. Some great thank information Thank you for your there. great show. I appreciate it. Uh, great hearing from you. All right, we'll take it. Stephen, I'll get you to respond to that on the other side. We'll take a quick time out. Come back. One segment remains uh, with Steve Ubaney, the author of Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design, whomurderedbooks.com. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Steve Ubaney from WhoMurderedBooks.com. Who Murdered Diana? A Crash by Design. Uh, How do we respond to the critics who say that in order to have pulled something like this off, you would have had to have... um, you would have had to have so many people in on it. So even, for example, the ambulance attendants. Um, I mean, how would they have arranged that? How would they arrange to have the right people in the right, you know, personnel in the right hospital? Uh, and, and, and then they'd have to keep quiet. Surely if there was a conspiracy, somebody would have, would have spoken out. How, this always comes out, you know, whenever we're talking about a conspiracy. Some people say, how do you keep something like this quiet? Well, I think with people like, um, well, the answer is you don't, which is why these things are coming out now. You know, after, and this has been 20-some years afterwards, you have deathbed confessions and people talking afterwards. But, you know, look, at the time, these people just follow orders. These people, you know, the people who, you know, the ambulance driver, he's doing what he's told to do. You know, so you have, you don't have to control all these people. You know, you don't have to do that. You know, it's, it's you know, these people, you have to control, you know, a couple of people who are well-paid or in the inside of uh, some sort of government agency who are telling people what to do, and they are the superiors. So the other people just follow orders. Uh, Francis, if you're still listening, you know, what you said was very, very interesting about uh, Henri Paul's friend there in that interview uh, that, uh, you know, speaking to that person in January of 98, um, connect with me on that. I would very much like to interview that person if, uh, if that's possible. So, uh, Francis, if you're still listening, thanks very much for your call. And, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to speak with you a little, little bit further on that. Francis was uh, calling from Toronto. So if she wants, if she's listening still and she wants to get a hold of you, does she do that through the website? Uh, yeah, she can do that through the website. If you go into Connect, there's a form that you fill out. You can also connect with me on Facebook. It's Steve Ubaney on Facebook. All right. Stephen. That's actually with a P-H. Stephen. Stephen. U-B-A-N-E-Y. All right. Now, the, uh, the brother of Prince Diana, the Earl of Spencer, uh, to this day, he doesn't believe that there was a conspiracy. Um... How do you? What are your thoughts on that? Wouldn't you think, if anyone would be suspicious, it would be her brother? Or you know, has he been maybe threatened into silence? What are your thoughts? I can't speak for him, um, and I certainly don't know anything about threats like that. I'm just a little author, you know. I don't know what the royal family's up to. Um, you know, I think that 
It depends on how much you trust people. You know, I know that governments, including the United States government, has things like the Houston Act where they would, um, you know, plant false documents and things for people to find to throw them off the trail. And I have to bring up this Elvis Presley thing and and, uh, the uh, Elvis is Alive thing. What the evidence that they're finding is evidence that that has been planted for them to find. So they're very good at this, getting in and giving disinformation and paperwork and this and that. Because the more more time we spend looking for Elvis at Burger King, the less time we try and figure out what really happened. So they're good at this. So as far as as far as what that person believes, I can't answer for that person. But you know, it depends on how easily you or how gullible you are in certain situations. Me, I like to use the five times rule. I, I ask why. And I get an answer, and I ask why again. And I get an answer, and I ask why again. And I do it five times until I'm satisfied. Some people don't do that. Some people just come up with, you know, okay, well, it's that way, and they shrug their shoulders and move on. And that's fine if that works for them. It doesn't work for me. I interviewed one of the royal watchers who worked uh, at the time for one of the, the British newspapers. Uh, she lived in Hammersmith, and, and um, she she told me, I'm not sure if she was referring to uh, MI6 uh, Richard Tomlinson or someone else, had suggested to her that the plan was not to kill Princess Diana. It was just to put a scare in her real good, maybe even shake her up, injure her perhaps, but not kill her. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Boy, that's, that, that's even dangerous to even conceive and to think about. You know, there's all kinds of things out there that people say. I, and I, again, I have no idea. There's even, there's even you know, I, uh, there's even a theory out there that I hope doesn't get any more traction than this, and I almost hate to repeat it, that Dodie and, and Diana faked their death. Please stop saying this. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, you know, I that, mean, this, that always an, happens, doesn't it? That always happens. Well, it what an embarrassment to the royal family and to people who were who really like Princess Diana, you know. And I'm among them. You know, I thought she was pretty pretty fantastic. The um, the other report that I've heard uh, from witnesses, and uh, obviously this dis- this didn't come up in the um, in any of the two official inquiries, but there were reports from a witness that, again, coming back to that motorcycle, that mysterious motorcycle in front of the. Uh, in front of the vehicle, the Mercedes, that flashed the bright light. Uh, after the car crash, witnesses said the motorcycle stopped. There were two people on the motorcycle. The passenger in the back got off, ran over to the car, looked into the car, and then turned back to the, the, uh, the, the driver of the motorcycle and crossed his arms, which apparently is some sort of uh, military symbol for, we have a kill. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Did that come up in your research? It did. Absolutely. That was one of the people who were the witnesses to who spoke to the French police. And of course, that was, you know, of course, that was lost. But the car uh, actually, you know, hit the um, uh, hit the pylon there and then spun around and ended up on the other side. So, I mean, it, it didn't. You know, somebody, one of the callers mentioned, you know, the, with the position of the car in, on, the, on the other side. That's how it happened. And it, was, it hit and then spun around on the other side. So it was on the opposite wall. So it didn't just hit there. It, you know, I mean, this was, this was substantial, what happened to this car. And, I mean, Mercedes, they're a well-built automobile. And, I mean, these things are tanks. You know, this is, we're not dealing with a little chintzy car here. And that car was destroyed. So this was 
quite substantial what happened. Uh, we just got a, a few minutes left here. Just uh, without giving too much away, but we've got to give us a little something here. Just run down sort of the list of suspects, maybe some that we haven't covered yet. Well, I, I go th- all through the royal family. I look at some of the arms brokers. I also look at the people who run the arms brokers. I'm into the, uh, the Club of Rome, the Bilderberg Group. I take a look into all of those people and what their motives were. I look into the people who were behind the uh, behind the war in Bosnia. You know, I also look at um, in France and why the French and the British magically cooperate with each other when they haven't for, you know, I'm not even sure those two governments are friendly towards each other. And, of course, you know, I, I run down that. And then I really, I present the whole evidence, which no one has looked at. In uh, you know, they look at it in the royal court. Well, again, the royal court is under commission of the queen, who definitely wanted this to go away because it was damaging their reputation in their in their prestige. So I present the whole enchilada. I give all the evidence. I run down the motive, means, and opportunity. In the end, you're going to come up with what happens to her. And you know, we're 22 years past, so you know, almost. All of the uh, persons of interest in this have passed away. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You have to wait. When something happens, everyone is looking and clamoring for information. Everything's tightly held. But as the decades roll by, you have evidence that comes up, but nobody's looking anymore. So this is, this is the premise of how I write my books. I dig into research that is new to solve old things. And this is what my book is about. WhoMurderedBooks.com, and you can pre-order that. The book is published in May. You can get an autographed copy from uh, Stephen. WhoMurderedBooks.com, all lowercase. And up next, you mentioned, is Who Murdered Nikola Tesla? Yeah, Nikola Tesla, he really... <laughs> this was really something for the ages. His, uh, his modern technology put in jeopardy some of the people who were making millions and millions of dollars with obsolete technology. He also started to develop a death ray that he was trying to sell to the uh, United States government. And when they decided they wanted to go another way with the splitting the atom, you know, he was trying to sell this around the world. And it got him a lot of attention. So they find his body and his room has already been ransacked. His files have already been taken. You know, I mean, this is, you can't make this stuff up. When this do is, we, this is just uh, amazing. When can we look forward to uh, who murdered Nikola Tesla? When is that? Uh, that will be later. That will be later this year. I'm putting two books out this year. So who murdered Diane will be out in May. Tesla will be out in probably September. You're a busy man, my friend. Well, I don't sleep for a reason, Richard. <laughs> All right, Stephen, thank you so much for this. Thanks very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks to all the callers. And get yourself a book. You won't be, you won't be disappointed in this one. You'll like it. WhoMurderedBooks.com. All right, we'll talk again soon. Uh, my thanks to uh, Carlos and uh, to Ryan and uh, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program, Dr. Cass Ingram and uh, Sloan Bella, L.A. Psychic. She's, she's always full value. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.